please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We're going to hear a message on a portrait of providence, and we're going to read a story, a true story, from the book of Exodus, chapter 2, 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took him for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can come into your presence this morning and worship, bringing in these things we talked about, our, our stress in the deep water, and, and find healing and find, uh, find truth here, God, find comfort. And now, God, I pray as we, we listen to the word, I, I pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes, Lord, to receive a word from you. Uh, God, I pray that you will, uh, you will speak with power and clarity uh, through our brother, uh, Brother Bryant, and Lord, that you will, your word and your spirit, Lord, will, will move through him in such a way, God, that many, many seeds will be planted this morning that will bear much fruit uh, in our lives and for your kingdom. And we pray in Jesus' loving and powerful name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. Good morning, loved ones. I want to do something a little bit different this morning, if you don't mind. Let me just, I want to make a couple of introductory points before we dig into this particular text. It will help us understand not only why we're going through the book of Exodus, but to define some terms so that we're all on the same page. Uh, several weeks ago, your elders and deacons went on a, a retreat together, and it was a time for us to evaluate past ministry of Christ Church and to help plan a future ministry of Christ Church. We did lots of different activities and different things to kind of narrow stuff down for two takeaways that we left the retreat with, two takeaways that we want to concentrate on for the future uh, at Christ Church, and that is believing and belonging that Christ Church would be known as a place where there is an invitation to believe this gospel of grace, and then a place where you would belong in the context of covenant community, where we would live life together, we would share life together. 
Last week we heard a little bit of that as Pastor Andrew started our study of the book of Exodus, Believing and Belonging. Now if you're looking at your outline in your bulletin, you see that the two sub-points that I have for my two main points use those two words, believe and belong. We're not going to take those two words and cram them into every outline now for the future as we work through this particular book, but they do apply today to our text to help us understand uh, this, uh, this concept of believing and belonging, our philosophy of ministry here at, at Christ Church. The second thing by way of introduction I want you to notice is the title of the sermon, A Portrait of Providence. You may be asking yourself, what is providence? Well, our confession, our catechism says, God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing every creature and every action. There, that sums it up for you. Yeah, that, that's not even any easier, is it? Simple language. Providence is this, friends. God had a plan. Before the foundation of the world, God had a decree or a plan. And he implemented that plan. He put it into motion through creation. By the power of his word, he created. He spoke and it came into existence. And now today, he is watching over all that he has created. That's providence. God is actively watching over and dealing with all of the minutiae, the small details, and the big details. He's holding gravity in place, the planets in their place, and he also knows that thing that is eating you up, tearing you up inside that you've voiced to no one. Exodus chapter 2 is a portrait of God's providence. Even in those little bitty things, those little bitty things that we uh, tend to think uh, have, have no ramifications, no dealings with the outcome. God is actively involved with those. So let's look at this particular passage then and think about how God is working out His providence, not only in the big things, but in the small details of our lives as well. July 28, 1962, Mariner 1 took off from Cape Canaveral in Florida, headed for Venus. Here's what was supposed to happen after this rocket took off. Thirteen minutes into flight, booster engines were to accelerate to the aircraft to 25,820 miles per hour. Forty-four minutes into flight, uh, 9,800 solar cells were to unfold. Eighty days into flight, a computer was to click on and calculate the final course for uh, its mission. 100 days into flight, the craft was to circle the planet Venus, scanning the mysterious cloud shroud before she returned then to Earth. Reality, four minutes after Mariner 1 took off, she plunged into the Atlantic Ocean, a total disaster. It took several weeks for engineers to determine what went wrong, but here's what went wrong when they finally found it out. One small minus sign was omitted from the code that was included into the computer to track all of these details. One small minus sign cost thousands and thousands of dollars and ended in destruction. 
What a picture of providence there. If you're anything like me, and I know you are because we are all corrupt in every part of our being, and that is this, that when God is at work in our life and he's taking care of all of those big details, and especially when he's taking care of those details the way I want him to take care of those details, then we see God's works of providence. We see him actively, act, actively working. But when he's not doing things that we want him to do, or there is, seems to be somewhat of an absence of God on these smaller things that are in my life, then we begin to doubt. Then we begin to wonder, why didn't God show up for this? He told me he would never leave me or forsake me, and here I am dealing with this thing, and I'm in it all by myself. If you're like me, I find myself there often, then questioning God's portrait of his providence, thinking that he's not able or he's not active or he's so busy somewhere else dealing with the big things that he has no time to deal with the small things. And then we have Exodus chapter 2. Because Exodus chapter 2 clearly tells us, friends, that that is not the case. If you're like me and you're prone to end up on that side of the equation in that camp, then we have Exodus chapter 2 to bring us all the way back again to say we have a God, Yahweh, the creator of all things, who providentially cares, watches over all that he has created, even that very small thing in your life that you think he is unaware of, he is actively doing all that he has ordained that he would do. Last week, Pastor, uh, Pastor uh, Andrew introduced us to these two midwives, uh, the midwives for the Hebrew women that protected the birth of the Hebrew children. The Hebrew uh, children grew, or grew in number and so forth. And in the passage there, twice in chapter 1, it talks about how these two women feared God. They feared Yahweh. Another word we might use is they trusted in Him. They believed in Him. They knew that there was a plan, that God was about His plan, and they believed this plan because they belonged to the covenant family. Two more women that we read of this morning in the opening chapter uh, uh, verses of chapter 2, and that's Moses' mom and Moses' sister. Mom begins with this revelation that she too is believing in Yahweh because she says there, verse 1 and 2, she bore a son and this was a fine child. And what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that she looked down and said, well, my baby is the prettiest baby in all of the world, like my grandchildren are. And if for some reason that she looked down and saw that this baby wasn't very attractive, that she would have just pitched it into the Nile like she was supposed to by the decree of Pharaoh. No, that's not what the passage is saying. It's the same thing we read last week. Pastor Andrew walked us through that every time Pharaoh came to oppress the children of God, the covenant community of God, they grew stronger and stronger and finer and finer. Moses' mom realized that this is a fine child, and then look at all the delicate and gentle language that we read in verses 2 and 3. She takes this basket she puts him into the basket. She places the basket into the Nile River. I want you to notice one thing, though, and that is the word that we have, basket. The Hebrew word there is actually tabach, which means it's the same word that we read of in Genesis 6, 7, and 8, 
where we read about Noah entering into the ark. It is the safe haven. It is the place that God had commanded by his decree and then providentially cared for Noah, placing Noah, Noah's wife, his sons, his daughters-in-law, inside this safe haven, inside this ark. And now here in Exodus 2, we read the same thing, that Moses' mom takes and places him in the tabach, into the ark, into the basket. It's the only place in Scripture where we read that. Exodus 2 and Genesis 6, 7, and 8. This gentle language then. Moses' mom knew the story. Loved ones, listen. She knew the story. She knew that God had been gracious to Noah and saved him, protected him and his family by placing him in the safe haven. And so she believes now, Moses' mom believes Yahweh will do the same for her child, her fine child, as she puts him, places him into the ark, into the basket. She trusts in Yahweh. Miriam does the same. Look at verse 4. She runs alongside to watch what will happen. She probably is sent by her mom, but she watches anticipating not the death of her brother, but the life, the continued life of her brother. She too, as a member of the covenant community, believes that Yahweh will do a mighty work. Even if she can't see it, even if she doesn't know what's going on, she still believes. But not only a place of believing, but a place of belonging too. Notice that Moses' mom and sister are not identified by name. We don't read about the parents of Moses until Exodus chapter 6. Jochebed is his mom's name, and Amram is his dad's name. His sister's name is Miriam. We read about that later in the book of Exodus. Why are they not identified by name? Because the point is not them, that's why. The focus is that Amram was from the tribe of Levi. Jochebed was from the tribe of Levi. Moses would be born a Levite, which would be eventually the tribe of the priests. He would be the deliverer, the future deliverer that would bring God's children out of bondage, out of Egypt, and give them the very law of God, the words of God, the Decalogue. So the focus is not on individuals. The focus is on the place of belonging in the tribe of Levi, counted among the children of Israel, Yahweh's children. That's where Moses would be born. He would be born into that family, even though we don't see that yet. These small things that have these huge ramifications, these huge conclusions, we don't see them in fine print here at the very beginning. Think about some of those. The Nile River. Pharaoh had declared that would be the place of destruction for these children. But it ended up being the place of salvation for Moses as he's placed into the ark. Or get this one. Think about this. Next week is Mother's Day. This could be a Mother's Day sermon next week. And that is the decree of Pharaoh was to kill all the boys and let the girls live. It's two females that actually thwart his plan and protect Moses and his birth as God providentially is caring, doing his work behind the scenes. And Jochebed, Moses' mom, what did she want more than anything in the world? She wanted to hold on to her son. She wanted to keep her son. She wanted to raise her son. 
And the passage goes on to say that she is the one that Miriam runs to get, who gets the child, his own mother, and gets to raise this child in her own home. That's exactly what she wanted. It thwarted the whole plan. All of these things, small things, behind the scenes that God is providentially tending to and caring to for a huge conclusion that is to come that we don't even know yet. Friends, the same is true in your life. God has not abandoned you wherever you are. Whatever it is that you are experiencing, whatever it is that you are undergoing, that you are living through right now, God has not abandoned you. Even if you haven't even told anybody else about it, Yahweh is faithful. A providential plan that he is tending to behind the scenes for lasting and glorious responses. This is a providential birth here in the opening verses 1 through 4. But the good news for people like you and me is there are, there's a providential rebirth that comes in verses 5 through 10. Application for people like you and me that are in the new Israel today, Jew and Gentile alike. It begins with the daughter of Pharaoh in verse 5. There is the absence of belief now. Not a belief in belonged for her, but the absence of belief. The daughter of Pharaoh comes down to the river to bathe with people by her side. She sees the basket. She sends a servant over to get the basket. She brings the, the basket to her, the ark. She opens it up. She hears the baby crying. And the passage there says that she took pity on him. Now, the Hebrew word means more than just she was sorry for him. It, it literally means that, that she, uh, she delivered this one who was weak and unable to deliver himself. She had affection for the helplessness of this particular individual. And, and Pharaoh's daughter must have known a little bit uh, of Hebrew. She recognized that Moses was from the clan uh, of, among the Hebrew, uh, Hebrews. She realizes that, but then she, look at verse 10, gives him the name Moses, which is a, a Hebrew name, and she goes on to define it. I'm going to give him the name Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. She knew a little bit of Hebrew. She didn't know a lot of Hebrew because literally translated Moses means he will draw out, not I drew him out of the water. She's focusing on herself. The lack of belief in Yahweh, but the belief in herself, does that define you? And sometimes if things are going to happen in my life that are going to be for the better because I'm experiencing the bad right now, then I've got to do something. I've got to pull my sleeves up. I've got to roll them up. I've got to get involved. I've got to do something to get rid of this. And the concentration becomes on self instead of fearing the Lord, trusting the Lord, believing in the Lord, who providentially is caring for things even that we cannot see behind the scenes. Lack of belief, she draws her attention to herself. But then, friends, we, can't, we couldn't make this up. Even if, we try, even if you were given the ability to come up with a plan, we couldn't come up with this. That Miriam would say, hey, I'll go find a Hebrew woman who recently had a baby who can nurse that uh, and run and get the baby's mother and all of that. And then look what, look what Pharaoh's daughter does. She says, okay, yes, go. And then when she comes back, she says, I want you to take the children and, hey, you know what? I'm going to pay you for it, too. <laughs> we wouldn't have made that up. I'm going to pay you for this, too. And not only that, but 
she could have, she had every right to say, you need to come and move into the palace and raise my son now inside my house. But no, she says, you take him and you raise him. Now we find another place of belonging for Moses. He's going back to his covenant family in the context of his own covenant home where he is going to learn the faithfulness of Yahweh. He's going to be taught all of those things, sitting on the knee of his mom and his dad. You see how wonderful being a parent is even when they're a, they drive us to pull our hair out, which is what happened here with my two kids. It, it is a blessing. One of the greatest jobs in all of the world to raise up our covenant kids. He's in the context of his own home, place of belonging, learning the faithfulness of covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, and later these huge ramifications that God would call him from a burning bush and send him to do a mighty work. Look at all of the things that we could miss, these small things. Pharaoh issues a decree. It doesn't work. He makes a harsher decree. It doesn't work. A harsher decree all the way to death. And it's Pharaoh's own daughter, his own family that turns the table, that saves Moses by divine providence of God himself. Moses now, after he's weaned and he leaves his mother and father's home and he moves to the palace, as we read in Acts, in the book of Acts, he learns the Egyptian way. He becomes a student of Egypt and this would be the very one who would soon overthrow the Egyptians. We, we can't make this stuff up. And not only that, but the very one who decreed his death Right under his nose, he would grow up in Pharaoh's house. Yeah, it's just, it's an amazing thing to think. In the scheme of things with the, the details that takes place that just simply reveal this portrait of divine providence of God caring for his children, people like you and me. But there's one here, friends, that I, I want to be sure you grab. Turn to pay, my pages to the right. Yours may be on the same page. But look at the end of chapter 2 that's coming up in our study of, the, of, of this book. End of chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. During those days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. What happens in between our text and that text is Moses grows up. Moses takes a wife, her name is Zipporah, and Moses has a son. So it's years after his birth. From the beginning of chapter 2, his birth, to the end of chapter 2, now we find that the children of Israel, God's covenant children, are realizing the oppression that they are under in Egypt and they cry out for delivery. I need to be delivered from this and what has happened? God, in his providential care, has already provided the deliverer long before they even cried out for deliverance. Wow! Long before they even knew they needed to be delivered, God had already provided the deliverer. 
in the birth of Moses with these tiny details behind the scene of protecting this little one. Friends, he's doing that for you too. As a covenant member, a child of the living God, you have every right to cling to this in our rebirth because we have been made alive, regenerated, born again, counted among the number, the elect, inside the context of the covenant community. Your God is providentially watching over and caring for you, even those small details that you can't even see that will have all kinds of repercussions in the future. That is the faithfulness of our God. But in the midst of our struggling, in the midst of our suffering, many times, friends, don't we misquote Romans 8, 28? All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Some people make the mistake of thinking that once you become a Christian, nothing bad ever happens to you anymore. Now that you're a Christian, you're completely protected. Well, is your life free of any pain and problems? Mine is not. That can't be true. But I think the way we abuse or misuse that passage many times is this, that in spite of that pain and problem that you're, you're suffering right now, in spite of that, maybe God will actually do something to bring about a little bit of good to kind of offset the bad. That's not what Romans 8.28 says. God is not working against Pharaoh's decree. Pharaoh comes up with a decree and God is having to work against that to do what he wants. No, God is actually precisely working by Pharaoh's decree to bring about salvation for Moses. He's not working against Pharaoh. He's precisely doing what he has ordained from the foundation of the world. And the same is true for people like you and me. In my suffering, in my pain, God is not trying to do something just to, uh, to, to come about making it less, less painful than it is. It's precisely in that and by that thing that I'm experiencing right now that he reminds me of this rebirth, this gospel of grace, that it's all about what he has done for us and is doing for us as he continues to grow us in grace upon grace upon grace. That's the gospel. And that's the promise that you can cling to from this passage right here. That he is doing the same thing for you today. Just like Jochebed would have heard, would have known that, that the, the basket was the ark. Because she could look back and remember the story of God's faithfulness and his grace to Noah. So too, friends, you read this passage in Exodus chapter 2 about the birth of a child. You, th you think to yourself, say to yourself, I've, I've read another story like that, haven't we? Matthew chapter 2, there was another king, King Herod, who made a decree that he was going to kill all of the two-year-old males. And in God's providential plan, working out the small details, God spares the life of Jesus Christ he has raised up the deliverer in the birth long before we even realized we needed deliverance. 
And he sent us that one, that true deliverer who would set us free from the bondage of our sin by making us new creatures in Christ. We are born again, rebirthed by this gospel of grace, and I now belong. Having believed in this gospel, I now belong in the context of a covenant community where we're living out this gospel together. Hallelujah! What a gospel that he gives, even when I can't see it, when I think he's abandoned me. He has not. He is working out his grace, not against it, but by whatever I'm experiencing for the praise of his own glorious grace. God has a plan, and he is watching over that plan for you today. Sweet gospel. Jennifer and I finally moved into our old new home. New to us, 88 years old. We've been rehabbing it. Last night was the first night we slept in our own bed. For the last four months, we've been living at the Krug's house, but last night we moved into our new home. Several weeks ago, I hired Jacob Lammers to come help me take down a garage door because it had rotted with all of the snow that this, this place gets up here against the door that had rotted this, this door out. There is only one door into my garage, and that is the 16-foot wide garage door. There's no other small private door to go out. So I began to think about this. I've taken down garage doors before, and I knew I better come up with a plan before I implement uh, something without having thought it through. Because there's only one little bolt and one little nut that holds a cable on one side of the door and a cable on the other side of the door. And once you remove those nuts and you let go of that, the, the tension on that cable by that great big spring over the top, boom, that door comes crashing down and you cannot lift it. You're stuck inside. If I didn't have my tools on the inside, I was in a world of hurt. I was going to have to kung fu that thing or something to get out uh, so that I could be set free. But I thought it through, and I thought, I've got to get all my tools on the inside of the garage. And then I took those cables off, and that bar, that spring came unwound. The door came crashing down, and then we began to dismantle it one piece at a time, taking off the top, and then the next one, and the next one, and the next one, until we were set free. God has a plan, friends, and he has thought it through. And his plan is to bring you savingly to himself through the gospel, the gospel that you now believe, to put you in the context of a family, to belong, to live life together, that in those times when that suffering and that pain overcomes us, we are not alone. We have one another and we have a Savior in whom we can believe. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a gospel. We could have thought this stuff up. No way. But we thank you that you did. Before the foundation of the world, you decreed and declared that we were yours, bought with a price. So Father, thank you that you have done this mighty work. For those of us today that are experiencing pain and suffering and problems, and those of us today that are experiencing great joy, just remind us, Lord, that it's your work, that you are doing a mighty work in us, to us, and for us, and that you promise 
and still promise and will continue to promise to never leave us or forsake us. We are yours. You are our God and we are your people. Allow us to live that out with one another today and every day we ask through Christ our Lord and all God's people said, amen.